welcome to the Election Ride Home for Thursday, July 18th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, how I define a major candidate, what happens when you get a page not found error on the candidate's websites, Steyer signs the No Fossil Fuel Pledge, and the DNC warns 2020 campaigns not to use FaceApp. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, I'm going to revisit a topic I covered way back on April 10th when, let's face it, almost none of y'all were listening. If you have binged the whole show, I guess tell me on Twitter and I will send you a special emoji or something. Anyway, today's question is, how do I define a so-called major candidate? This came up on Twitter recently in light of my ongoing coverage of former Senator Mike Gravel, and it does expose some of the innate problems in trying to sort out what we mean when we say a candidate is major versus, well, something less than that. I base my thinking here on an article published in 538 way back on March 28th. That one is by Nate Silver, and it's titled, quote, Here's how we're defining a major presidential candidate, end quote. In the article, Silver lays out a series of objective points the candidates can get. If they get enough points, they're major. If they don't, they're not. Now, part of why this matters is that there are literally hundreds of people running for the Democratic nomination right now. You could do that tomorrow if you wanted to and had time to fill out the paperwork. So as a matter of media coverage, we have to distinguish between those hundreds of people, many of whom have never raised a single dollar and are presumably running for president just to check off some weird bucket list item, versus, you know, people who have campaigns and stuff. Okay, so I think one way to examine this is the story of Mike Gravel, who, let's face it, is about to cease being a major candidate anyway. But when I first talked about him, Gravel had just announced a few days prior. Let me read from my own script back in early April. Quote, Let's talk for a moment about Mike Gravel, who just announced on Monday. He is running a single-issue campaign with the stated intent to do three things. First, get into the Democratic primary debates, second, raise a ruckus during those debates, and third, quit the race after the second debate and donate any remaining money to charities, including clean water for Flint, Michigan. Now, Gravel is a former U.S. senator from Alaska. He served from 1969 through 1981 and is currently living as a retiree in California. His candidacy this year was put together, literally the paperwork was done for him, by a group of students who are enthusiastic champions for his cause. So, Does Mike Gravel count as a major candidate? I mean, he's a former senator with decades of experience, so he's got that. But does his stated goal of not playing to win somehow make him minor? And how do we even figure that out? End quote. Okay, so that's where the 538 definition becomes really handy. In that rubric, you can either qualify for any of the DNC debates, even if you don't hit the stage, just qualifying would be enough to be considered a major candidate. And we know we have 21 of those right now, including Gravel, by the way. But what about the candidates who have not yet qualified? Well, Nate Silver has a plan for that. He wants to see a candidate meet any six out of the following 10 requirements. This is kind of a long list, so prepare yourself. Quote, One, has formally begun a campaign, not merely formed an exploratory committee. Two, is running to win, not merely to draw attention to an issue. 3. Has hired at least three full-time staffers or equivalents. 4. Is routinely campaigning outside of their home state. 5. Is included as a named option in at least half of polls. 
six gets at least half as much media coverage as candidates who qualified for the debate, seven receives at least half as much Google search traffic as candidates who qualified for the debate, eight receives at least one endorsement from an endorser 538 is tracking, nine has held any public office, elected or appointed, ten has held a major public office, president, vice president, governor, U.S. Senate, U.S. House, mayor of a city of at least 300,000 people, or member of a presidential cabinet, end quote. When Silver first wrote that, he did the math and came up with 14 major candidates, but did not include Joe Biden at the time, because Biden had not announced his campaign yet. Also, at that time, Silver said he did not see Gravel as a major candidate. If you added up the points back then, Gravel likely would have gotten one point for announcing a real campaign, hiring full-time staffers, getting at least half as much media coverage as candidates who qualified for the debate, having held any public office, and having held a major public office. But that's only five points, and you need six to become major, because rules are rules. Well, at some point, Silver did flip Gravel into the major column, and if I remember correctly, it was on the day that Gravel tweeted to say that he is indeed in it to win it. Okay, so this points out yet another problem with this approach. Gravel started out saying explicitly he is a protest candidate and intends to drop out, but then later he says, nope, changed my mind. So, which statement do we trust? To me, it has to be the most recent statement. I can't assume as a journalist that a candidate is lying when they say something unless they have a very consistent pattern of doing that in the past. And Gravel does not have that pattern. So, he's major. He gets the point. Does that mean he has any chance of winning the presidency? No, of course not. What about the Democratic nomination? Well, no, not that either. Not Gravel, anyway. But he's not alone in being somebody who doesn't have a solid chance. And here's my question. Does he deserve some kind of media attention given the amount of energy, money, staff time, and thought that he's put into his campaign? Well, yeah, in my opinion, he does. And so does everybody else on my major candidate list, including people like Mayor Wayne Messam, who has a campaign with virtually no money and no national profile, and who will likely never qualify for a debate. Now, should candidates in that category get as much coverage as people who are more actively campaigning or have bigger operations? Well, probably not. But if this is a contest of ideas, and I believe it should be, we have to give these people some credit and at least put them on our list and listen to them. And if they do something worth covering, we cover it. Now, another more recent example of this issue was when former Pennsylvania Representative Joe Sestak announced his candidacy, followed by former hedge fund manager Tom Steyer. At first, Silver considered neither of them to be major. So let's look at why. It's really simple. Let's take Sestak as an example. Silver just went right back to the point system he already published, added them up for Sestak, and said, not major right now, he's only got five points. But then, by July 15th, that calculation changed, because Sestak started appearing on pollsters' lists of possible candidates. At that moment, Sestak hit the six-point threshold and became a major candidate. As of July 9th, an article in 538 said that Tom Steyer was not yet a major candidate because he only got two or maybe three points on the list, depending on how you count. But, given the long history of watching this process now, it seems completely inevitable to me that Steyer will become major. So I don't think it's worth pretending that he's not, given that we know he's walking around, throwing money at things, buying TV ads, hiring staff, signing pledges, you name it. 
He's gonna get there. So for me, he's already on my list. I am tracking him today, and I won't be surprised if Nate Silver starts doing the same within a week or two. The Election Ride Home is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. It's a place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com primary. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. And that technology helps you find the right fit. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, Election Ride Home listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash primary. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash P-R-I-M-A-R-Y. One last time, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash primary. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. The Election Ride Home is sponsored by a great podcast called The Meb Faber Show. The Wall Street Journal named it one of the top five investing podcasts you should not miss. And you know what? I agree. If you're looking to learn from the brightest minds in finance or you simply want to know more about investing in a casual and fun interview format, it's a must listen. The show is hosted by Meb Faber, CEO of Cambria Investments and an award-winning ETF manager. If you're not sure what an ETF is, you need to be listening to this podcast. The goal of his show is to help you grow and preserve your wealth by giving you new investing ideas and insights. Check out the Meb Faber Show wherever you enjoy your podcast. That's Meb, M-E-B, Faber, F-A-B-E-R. You don't want to miss it. And next up, some fun with web pages. This is pretty great. Over at Mashable, Marcus Gilmer took on the unenviable task of visiting every primary candidate's website and punching in a broken link. In the parlance of web developers, this is called a 404 error, which is web code for there is no page at this address that you just typed in. Now, on a lot of websites, like my own, if you go to some random garbage page or a page that used to be there and moved, you get a super generic message that just says, literally, 404 page not found. But people with time and budgets like to customize these things, so Gilmer dug in and decided to rank those pages. In the very bottom position at number 26, Gilmer started with President Donald Trump, who technically is kind of running as a primary candidate and does technically have at least one primary challenger, though that's probably not going anywhere. Anyway, he does have a 2020 campaign site and a custom 404 page. That page says, quote, Oops, this is awkward. You're looking for something that doesn't exist. Try going to our homepage. End quote. But what makes it totally Trumpy is a giant image of Hillary Clinton on that page. Well, okay then, candidate Trump, maybe update that one pretty soon, eh? In seventh place is Beto O'Rourke, whose 404 page shows a looping gif of him applying his own campaign bumper sticker to a dented car, along with the headline, quote, Let's make this a happy accident, end quote. Below that, there's some helpful text and then a link to go buy the sticker for yourself. Nicely done. 
And in third place is a real winner. Senator Elizabeth Warren's 404 page includes a Star Wars reference, a Nevertheless She Persisted reference, a Saturday Night Live YouTube clip embedded in the page featuring Kate McKinnon playing Warren on Weekend Update, and links to volunteer and donate. I think she has covered essentially every nerd base there possibly is in one page, although a Star Trek reference would have been appreciated by me. There's a link in the show notes to find the rest of them. The article is actually a little bit out of date, and you'll see that the top 404 page on the list is unfortunately from Eric Swalwell's site, which is now defunct. And the list does not include some of the most recently announced candidates. But still, you're going to be pretty surprised what Cory Booker, Steve Bullock, Michael Bennett, John Hickenlooper, and Amy Klobuchar managed to do with their pages. They are very delightfully on brand. On Wednesday evening, the latest entrant to this field, Tom Steyer, took the no fossil fuel money pledge. He becomes the 22nd major primary candidate to do this. The only candidates who have not signed the pledge are Montana Governor Steve Bullock, former Representative John Delaney, and former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper. I've covered the pledge before on this show, but it has been several months, and I think it's worth revisiting. Here is the full text of the pledge. Quote, I pledge not to take contributions over $200 from oil, gas, and coal industry executives, lobbyists, and PACs, and instead prioritize the health of our families, climate, and democracy over fossil fuel industry profits. End quote. The website further reads, quote, Taking the pledge means that you and your campaign will adopt a policy to not knowingly accept any contributions over $200 from the PACs, lobbyists, or SEC-named executives of fossil fuel companies, companies whose primary business is the extraction, processing, distribution, or sale of oil, gas, or coal. Click here for an indicative list of these companies. This is not a complete list, but an indication of the type of fossil fuel company covered by the pledge. End quote. And of course, there is a link to a spreadsheet of national and regional companies covered by the pledge, but they are just indicative. And for what it's worth, the pledge is not just for presidential candidates. Any politician running for any office can take it, and you go right into their database of signatories as long as you fill out a form and provide some basic proof that you did sign the thing. In the case of Steyer, he posted a video to Twitter showing him actually signing it, showing the signed document, and showing his staff talking about the issue. There's also a lengthy FAQ on the site because, of course, there are some practical issues that can come up if you happen to receive a donation but did not realize that it was somehow attached to an executive at one of these companies. Here's an example. Quote, What should a pledge signer do if they receive a prohibited contribution? If a politician who has taken the no fossil fuel money pledge receives a prohibited contribution, the campaign should act within a reasonable time frame to address the contribution. The preferred action is for the campaign to return the money. Alternatively, contributing an equivalent amount to a climate justice organization working to stop the climate crisis and protect impacted communities, an organization that is not a no-fossil-fuel-money coalition member, will be considered sufficient action to stay in good standing with the no-fossil-fuel-money pledge. End quote. And one last note. The pledge only covers donations from executives working at those companies. It does not apply to the actual employees on the ground who work there. So if you take this pledge, you can still take money from the people who actually work in this industry. And last up today, a warning about Russian artificial intelligence on your smartphone. 
On Wednesday evening, the DNC contacted all the 2020 primary campaigns to warn them and their staff not to use FaceApp on their smartphones. Now, to be super clear, we're talking about the app called FaceApp, not the many other things with the word face in them, like FaceTime or Facebook or whatever. This is FaceApp. Okay, reading from a CNN article by Donnie O'Sullivan, quote, This app allows users to perform different transformations on photos of people, such as aging the person in the picture. Unfortunately, this novelty is not without risk. FaceApp was developed by Russians, the alert from Bob Lord, the DNC's chief security officer, read. FaceApp, which was released in 2017, went viral this week with celebrities and other public personalities all around the world sharing photos of themselves edited through the app. The app's makers say it uses artificial intelligence technology to edit the photos. Responding to concerns from some security experts, the makers told TechCrunch, even though the core R&D team is located in Russia, the user data is not transferred to Russia. End quote. Now, if you'll recall, the DNC has a genuinely valid beef with Russia about computer stuff after the 2016 election and the Mueller report and all that stuff. So just trusting the app maker based in Russia that it's not, you know, somehow accidentally doing something fishy with that data, well, let's just say the DNC is not taking any chances. The DNC recommended that all campaign staffers delete the app immediately and even broadened that recommendation to include, quote, people in the democratic ecosystem, end quote. So I guess that includes me, I guess, and maybe you. I don't know. I don't know how big the democratic ecosystem is. Like, is the ecosystem the entire country because we're a democratic nation or just the party or people who talk about the party? I don't know. Point is, apparently FaceApp was made by folks in Russia and the DNC is not so psyched about that. Good thing I never tried the app, I guess, but this just makes me wonder, what could possibly be next? Well, that is it for one more episode of The Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Well, today is a travel day for me, so I recorded this very, very early in the morning Pacific time. Tomorrow's show will be brought to you from Boston, so I can figure out how the alarm clocks work and stuff. And after that, I'm on my way to Maine, where I'm told the Saturday feels like temperature could be 100 degrees. Oh, that's a feeling. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. Tomorrow.